Hello, welcome to Inspired Caring. I'm your host, Michelle Magner. If you are caring for an older family member, this is the podcast for you. Each week, I bring insight, tips, inspiration, and strategies to help you care for the people that you love without losing yourself along the way. Having cared for both of my grandmothers, I've helped manage everything from hospital stays, households full of belongings, to navigating senior living and end-of-life care. And I've worked in senior living as a result of that experience, serving my residents and their families as they've been on this journey too. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Inspired Caring. Hello, my friends. How are you doing? This week, we are going to talk about when to stop treating or to discontinue extraordinary measures for someone. Ooh, this is a heavy subject. But it's an interesting topic that has surfaced in the support groups about at what point does your loved one stop going to the doctor to get even regular exams or treatments And I think it's a really good question. Now, I have to say, I am not a doctor. I am not a nurse. I am not medical in any way, shape, or form. Everything I'm about to share is my opinion based on my belief system and experiences. Something else worth noting is um, this does not have to be a great big mystery. That is why everyone should have a living will to outline medical preferences. So ideally, you do not have to guess or figure this out for someone, and no one will have to figure it out for you. It can be outlined in an official document. I have to also share with you that not agreeing on courses of treatments can tear families apart, especially if your loved one has not specified anything in writing And then they've named you as the medical power of attorney. And then there's a chance your siblings or other people involved are not going to agree with your decisions. I have seen this time and time again where people are not on the same page and that person is no longer able to make decisions for themselves. And it can just shred a family. All of us have very different metrics for how we measure our quality of life. For some people, it is simply being able to eat ice cream and watch a football game on TV. They can have those two things. They feel that they are having a completely satisfying existence. For others, it may require knowing who your family members are and being able to enjoy each other in a meaningful way. All of us individually get to decide what constitutes a quality life. But I cannot emphasize enough the importance of communicating that information to the people that you are putting in charge of those decisions for you. And if you are the person in charge for someone else, if they are able, getting that information communicated to you. It's really important to take into consideration quality of life versus quantity of life. We are living, on average, 
Um, our lifespan has just increased to like 79 or 82 years old. But the last 12 years of our lives are dealing with chronic illness. And it's just something really important for you to take into consideration. So I'm seeing treatment uh, fall into three categories. Category one is keeping people comfortable and treating pain, things like headaches, urinary tract infections, back pain, all of that is a no brainer to me. Of course, you're gonna treat those things. That is compassionate care, no brainer. Category two, in my opinion, are things like regular checkups with blood work. I think this really depends on the individual, how their health has been, what their age is, their lifestyle. Something to consider is what would you do with information when you have it? If someone's quality of life is tanking, is it worth treating things like blood pressure and cholesterol, those types of things. In fact, oftentimes when people are admitted to hospice care and removed from all of their medications and the waterfall of side effects that come with those medications, they actually begin to feel and do better. Please do not do this without being under a doctor's care. Hospice companies have medical directors monitoring and making recommendations. So do not go rogue on me. I am not suggesting that you do this. It's just a reoccurring question that I see in support groups. At what point do you stop going to the doctor for routine blood work and treating things that are chronic if their quality of life is starting to decline? We had a gentleman in our memory care with advanced Alzheimer's. He was able to still walk around and mostly feed himself, but he didn't know who his family members were, had a lot of struggles with communication and several other medical things going on. And the family took him to a dermatologist to check out several spots on his very bald head. And I was shocked that the dermatologist decided to cut out essentially five spots off this guy's head and he had stitches in all the areas. So what do you and I know about healing wounds with stitches? Well, they're itchy. And of course this guy had zero recollection of going to the dermatologist and why his scalp was itchy. So he was constantly like scratching at his head and subsequently had blood running down his face constantly as we tried to, you know, keep band-aids on him and distract him from scratching. So in my opinion, this felt like an unnecessary procedure because it made his daily life pretty uncomfortable. And to what end? It just, it didn't seem like if he, like if he did have skin cancer, is that outcome worse than where he was at with his late stage Alzheimer's? some considerations and balancing there. Category three is the bigger stuff. We admitted a patient to our nursing home who had two ostomy bags, I think that's what those are called, and a feeding tube, and just another uh, a number of other really complex medical situations that were way beyond my understanding. 
And the person was not very um, responsive or medically doing well. Like they were qualified to leave the hospital, not on full life support or anything, but just in a situation where my, in my opinion, and really that of our team, like just their quality of life was in question. And I was asking the social worker, like, how does this happen? And the response was twofold and it sort of didn't surprise me. The first is, um, at least in the U.S., our medical system is completely designed around the model of diagnosis and treatment. And even now, what I'm hearing from people is very little attention is given to end of life and dying in medical school, and doctors are taught to treat. And really, it feels like at all costs, um, and I don't mean financial, there's other costs associated with treating things as well. I highly recommend the book Being Mortal by Atul Gawand. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. The author is a physician who was taking care of his elderly father, who was also a physician and navigating the healthcare system. And he reminds us that we always have a right to refuse care and step out of the system. We get to decide when and how much treatment we want to undergo. So when that particular person went to the hospital, they quickly started down this path of, well, we can try this and we can try this and we can try this. And the outcomes became this snowball compound effect of things that just weren't working. And so they kept trying something different and then ultimately left this person in a precarious state. And I reiterate, this person did not come to us bubbly and full of life with a few medical things to manage. It was just a pretty bad state of affairs. So the second response as to how this happened was it was a result of decisions by the kids. Because, of course, the medical system is designed to diagnose and treat. And also... Um, the kids, even though the person was in their, I believe, late 80s, they just could not face the fact if something was left untreated that this person was going to pass away. And they were led down this path. I feel like there was potential that there, I mean, there are just families. We just really struggle. We struggle to um, face that fact. And it might have been hard for the doctor to give an honest assessment of the person's condition because they're looking for hope and options as well. And, um, you know, the person was probably nearing some end of life. I mean, these were just all Hail Marys that they were reaching for. And it just had devastating consequences. And ultimately, the person passed away several days after coming to the building. There came a point where the treatments for my father-in-law's cancer was just doing more harm than good. His organs couldn't handle it anymore. I mean, a year ago, we went to the hospital because just everything was shutting down. And once they got the oral chemo out of his system, he perked back up. I mean, we know the treatments did buy us some time. Last summer when we were told it had spread to his brain and without radiation, we were looking at like a matter of days and the doctors could not predict how long we would have 
um, with treatments, but the side effects he felt like were worth the risk of the, the treatment or the effort of the treatment, I guess. Um, so we ended up having another seven months together. But again, like the doctors knew very specifically, like if you don't treat, this is what we're looking at. If you do, I don't really know what you're looking at. Um, so it's just hard, right? The not knowing is just so hard. Every living thing has a life cycle. It's just how the system works. And none of us are getting out of here alive. I know it is so hard um, to say goodbye. And if you have listened to the last few episodes, you know this is we're relatively raw and fragile for us. But just something to take into consideration as you ponder these things. Are you trying to avoid one negative feeling but generating another negative feeling? And I think this happens to us more than we care to realize in general in our lives. So in this situation, um, are we or they choosing suffering because we want to avoid sadness of losing them? I'm seeing people in the support groups online just really struggling with getting more help and having their loved ones move into a nursing home and their current situation is just not working for them. So they are choosing the misery of keeping things the same. And I'm telling you, people are just, they are saying I am miserable and they are choosing that over what they suspect would be guilt from moving them someplace where they could potentially get more care. Well, they would get more care. So just consider that. Are you choosing one feeling to avoid another feeling? Science is amazing. Doctors are able to do incredible things, nurses, to help keep people alive. I am just regularly seeing this happening at too high a cost. And one that the person doesn't want to pay. Your healthcare directives are super important. And having someone that you can trust implement them is the next step. It's also really important. I know these conversations are hard, but I assure you, being in the moment, having to make decisions for someone is way harder. So step into the ring, have the uncomfortable conversation now, and figure out what what people want and what you want. Okay, that was heavy. I, I see you. I hear you. You are doing a great job. Such a good job. And I love you. And I look forward to seeing you back here next week. See you then.